you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. I'm going to share a few verses with you this morning. A sermon I've entitled, The Sinner's Prayer. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at verse 9 through verse 14. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. Again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking part in worship. Thank you, choir, for singing, filling the choir loft, and and Brother Terry and our trio, and then you joining in with singing. It's been a good morning. And so uh, if you would look at Luke 18, verse 9, while God speaks to our hearts through his word. Speaking of Jesus, and he spake this parable unto them, or he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice the week in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. We have the publican standing afar off, would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now I'm sure this morning there's going to be some who hear this sermon on TV. They'll hear the sermon on radio. Uh, view it on our website or hear it on our podcast. And some are going to strongly disagree that a person can pray to receive Christ. Our Calvinist friends will surely disagree. They believe that a person is really pre-elected or pre-selected to be saved or to be lost. And I understand the concern that a prayer can be misused or abused. However, I know my heart. I have never, as a pastor, as a minister, a gospel preacher, misled any adult, especially any child, to pray to receive Christ without the gospel thoroughly being presented and being explained. I don't know many preachers that misuse and abuse when sharing the gospel for a person to come to Christ. I'm sure there's some. So to some degree, with the sinner's prayer, uh, there's concern because it can be misused or abused. Some disagree. Some disagree and say, well, they know people who've prayed but their life has never displayed the fruit, any fruit. 
Well, there may be two reasons for that. Number one, the reason of a fruitless life could be that a church failed to disciple that new believer. Or the person that led them to Christ may have failed to disciple that new believer. Or a person may have just said a prayer without meaning anything in praying that prayer. You see, there is an authentic faith and there is an inauthentic faith. We learned this in Bible school this week in the adult class. There is an authentic faith and there's an inauthentic faith. Jesus tells of both. He says the inauthentic can be seen in a narrow way. I mean, in a broad way that leads to destruction. And many go therein. And he says there's this authentic faith where narrow is the way and few find it. And so not everybody that says they're going to heaven is going to heaven. And not everybody thinks they're going to heaven is going to heaven. There is an authentic faith and there's an inauthentic faith. And some just wanted to be saved to get what they could out of Jesus instead of being a part of, of what his mission is upon this earth, and that's to bring a lost world unto himself. So please remember, it is a biblical concept to ask Jesus to come into your heart. The word received that word receive or received is used several times in the book of Acts and those that received Peter's gospel the gospel that Peter preached they received the word they believed they were baptized so they repented they believed they were saved this brings about a question can you pray and not be saved yes but let me say this, you can't be saved without praying. You can pray and not be saved, but you can't be saved without praying. Uh, I checked before I came out, and, and uh, I was thinking about wedding vows. And uh, I've, married, uh, I've married 80 couples since I've been here. Uh, had 237 funerals, the best I can tell that I have a record of. So far more people are dying than getting married. And I have these couples stand before me, and uh, I lead them in a vow. I really do. And they, they recite that vow. You may have recited them either before me or in front of some other pastor, minister, or justice of the peace, I don't know. But you may have recited a vow. And they make that vow in front of God, their family, and their friends. Now the question is, do they mean it? Well, I don't know if they mean it. I'm praying that they mean it. I'd lead them praying that they're meaning it and they're sincere. And you can pray a sinner's prayer and not mean it. Many have. Many will continue to do so. Have you ever prayed a prayer and didn't mean it? Have you? Have you made a commitment to God through a prayer and didn't follow through with that commitment? 
Have you ever prayed a prayer to God and not mean it? Well, I think all of us can meditate on that for a while. However, there's a, there's a practical moment that a person crosses over from being lost to saved. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says this, In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's a period of time, there is this point in that you cross over from being lost to being saved. There's got to be. Jesus told Zacchaeus, our children studied about Zacchaeus this past week in Bible school. Zacchaeus crossed over that point. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. Salvation has come to your house today. He crossed over a point. Then that day, 3,000 souls were added. And then there's nowhere in the Bible that I can find that says God regenerates you and then you repent and believe. The Bible says believe and you shall be saved, not that you be saved and then you shall believe. So when you pray and you repent and you turn and you believe cognitively, we talked about this in adult Bible study class this past week, you believe that Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins and he was buried and he arose again. And one day he's coming back and you understand that and then you accept that those facts about Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that he is the son of God he's going to do what he says he's going to do and you want to give your life to him and be a part of the mission that he has on this earth of reaching a lost world to himself that you'll be a king, that you'll be a priest part of the priesthood of the believer and be a mediator between a holy God and a sinful man and do what you're supposed to do in the middle as you bring lost people to a, to a holy God and ask Christ to forgive you and to come into your life and save you, in a nanosecond you'll be saved. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as we read Luke 18, 19, 9 through 14, you discover a number of messages in that passage, true or false. Not everyone who goes to church experiences God. True. True or false? Not everyone who goes to church goes to heaven. True. True or false? Not all good people go to heaven when they die. True. So all those statements are true based on Luke 18, 9 through 14. Now, what's the purpose? Look at verse 9, chapter 18. And he spake this parable unto certain that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. So Jesus is talking to a group of people that were putting their faith and their trust in all of the good things they were doing in life. And they couldn't care about anybody else. And I believe the primary passage in the parable is if you want to be right with God and if you want eternal life and if you want to go to heaven when you die, then you must be willing to pray what I refer to, as Christ points out here, a sinner's prayer. 
Because I believe all the elements of the prayer of salvation are included in this prayer. Now, Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everybody that prays won't be saved, but you can't be saved unless you pray. Now, salvation is available to anyone who calls on the Lord to be saved. However, there was a religious man in Luke chapter 18 that must not have called on the Lord the right way. If you notice that, he must not have prayed in the right way because he was not justified and this public and this sinner was. So with that in mind, I personally should really be concerned and you should be concerned. It's very important that when I pray, that I pray and call on God the way that he wants me to what he said here in this passage now how did he call on God how did this how did the religious person be denied and how did the sinner be accepted with Jesus well number one jot this down it was a prayer of great humility now notice there's a contrast between the Pharisee and this publican this sinner the Pharisee was a very religious person we we talked about this last week very religious Religious, he was a very religious person in his practice, in his conduct. He was self-righteous. He was, uh, he was hypocritical. He was kind of smug. He kind of looked down on everybody that wasn't as religious as he was. He knew the Bible real well. He could quote it. He lived it. He was a great moral person. He was a Pharisee. And and Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, who came to Jesus by night, he was a Pharisee, but he was lost. Here's here's two religious people lost. And then you have this rich person that came to Jesus, this rich ruler uh, in Luke chapter 18. Just look over to verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he began to explain to Jesus all the good things that he'd done. Jesus asked him to go sell all that and come and follow him. And the Bible says he went away sorrowfully. So here's this Pharisee. He's a religious person. And then you have this publican. Now the publican was a tax collector. And everybody hated the publican because... That he had this agreement with the Roman government that anything over a certain tax he got to keep. And so he'd kind of raise the tax because anything over the tax was his. And he was really considered an extortioner and he was a thief. And everyone just hated tax collectors. So he was, he was a tax collector. He wasn't religious. The other guy was. This guy neglected religion. He was, he was a rascal. He couldn't be trusted. He was as low as they came. He was very dishonest. And he was the last man in the world that you would ever think that Jesus would have commended. This tax collector. But in contrast, all the contrast is external. It's on the outside, see. And notice the real contrast It's when they go to church. It's when they go to the temple to pray. This Pharisee came in and he begins to commend himself on how well he was doing. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood 
and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men, extortioners, remember tax collector, unjust, tax collector, adulterer, might have been one of those too, or even as a publican. <laughs> Got to the point there. I fast twice in a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And so he begins to list the things as he began to pray. He begins to commend himself. And notice the sinner, notice the old publican in verse, uh, notice him in verse 13. The publican standing afar off. Now notice the, 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 the Pharisee stood and he prayed. And when Pharisees stood, they stood and they prayed with their arms lifted, looking into heaven. But here's this old publican, he was standing afar off. He wouldn't even go to the altar. He wouldn't even go into the temple, really, not far into the temple to pray. He would not even lift up, verse 13, so much his eyes into heaven, but he just, he just smote on his breast. He just, he just beat himself. His humility, that's his humility, see. His, his humility was seen in the place he prayed. The publican stood far off. He felt unworthy to approach God. He felt that God was too holy for him to approach. His humility was seen in his posture. He, he stood and just, just beat on his breast. That's his unworthiness as he stood before God. He, he wasn't cocky. He wasn't arrogant. Now, he saw his unworthiness. See, he, he beat on his chest simply to say, there's something wrong in here. There's something in here, God. There's something in here not right with me. He approached God with a sense of unworthiness. You see, a person can never pray the sinner's prayer unless he realizes his unworthiness. Before you pray to be saved, you've got to realize you're lost. And before you pray to be saved, you've got to realize you're a sinner. All of us are sinners. And we stand apart from a holy God because of our sin. And we have to admit that. The, the first thing you have to do to go to heaven is admit, admit that you're bad. And God wants to receive you. In that shape, he wants to forgive you. And so as long as one's impressed of who he is and what all he's done, you can't pray that sinner's prayer. It was a prayer of great humility. Notice number two, I jotted down, it was an expression of a great need. That Pharisee felt no need when he went into that temple. You'd be surprised, no doubt, we all would. How many people come to church on Sunday or any time the doors open? And they feel no need when they come in here. I'm just as good as anybody. I'm better than some. And I have no need whatsoever. I'm just here because it's Sunday. And I told God I'd come. Pharisee felt no need. He felt that he was doing what he was doing was sufficient. And so when he goes, he didn't ask God for nothing. But the sinner had need. And he made that need known in that gesture. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this. And the publican standing far off would not lift up so much his eyes in them, but he smote on his breast saying, God be merciful for me a sinner. Now, there's no merit in the gesture. You don't, you don't get into heaven by beating on your chest. No merit in that. 
but he expresses a need that he had in his life. It was, a, it was an expression of sorrow, and it was a, an expression of, I'm unworthy, God. That was what he was trying to express. And in some way, he was saying his heart was in his breast, and this was the source of all the wrong in his life was, was inside of him. So he felt a sense of guilt. He knew that he was a sinner, and the beating expressed this hopelessness and despair that he had in his life, and he was simply declaring himself guilty before God. And his prayer expressed a great need. It was, it was personal. He kind of removed everybody else out of his mind. When he was standing there, you know, sometimes people say, Brother Sammy, I don't like to pray because I get nervous praying around people or in a large crowd. He, he didn't care. So he, he put the Pharisee way out of his He put this real religious person, far more religious than he was. He didn't care if anybody was around. He just wanted to express how he felt he was before a holy God. And his prayer was specific. Notice that. Be merciful. God, please deal with my sin that your anger will be removed. Please be merciful. I know I'm guilty. Be merciful. So it was a prayer. It was a prayer of reconciliation to God. He acknowledged that he had sin and his sin had separated him from God. And everyone who prays a sinner's prayer must recognize they're separated from God. Can you imagine, let me just say it this way, can you identify this morning with this publican? Can you identify with the sinner and how this sinner felt? He recognized the holiness of God. He recognized the need he had in his life, and he cried out to God, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And here's the point. Unless you feel honest with those words in your life, Unless you feel honest with the words, God, I know you're holy. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know I, I deserve hell. God, be gentle to me. Be merciful to me. Unless you feel honest with those kind of words, then you're nowhere close to the kingdom of God. You're nowhere close to heaven until you feel honest about praying a prayer like that. And so this sinner comes out of conviction of a need. It was a prayer of great humility, an expression of a great need. And then notice, and I'll close with this, it was a prayer that was heard by God. No one heard the Pharisee's prayer but the Pharisee. Sometimes when people pray, even in church, they're just talking to themselves. Their sin has separated them from God. But there's some good news in verse 14. God says, I'll tell you, this man went down to his house justified, talking about that old sinner. He went down to his house justified. He went down to his house forgiven. He went down with his, into his house right with me and made right with me. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The sinner was right with God. The good man went home without meeting God. The sinner was justified. The man did not justify himself, but God justified him. 
and the man acknowledged the need. He made the plea, and God did the rest. There's a moment that a sinner crosses the line from being, from being lost to being saved when they see themselves in that need, in that need. And he was justified. He was acquitted. He had a problem. He was a sinner by nature, by choice. You can't save yourself. He knew that, and God provided an answer to him. And when you believe the elements of the prayer that he prayed and you humble yourself and you express your need and you call on God to be merciful and you're willing to accept him and give him your life, then he'll hear your prayer and he'll save you. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Prayer of great humility, expression of a great need, and a prayer heard by God. It's kind of interesting, I'm going to share this with you for your information. Today begins the pastor's conference at the Southern Baptist Convention in Louisville, Kentucky. The Southern Baptist Convention itself begins Tuesday and goes through Wednesday. In New Orleans in 2012, 2012, the Southern Baptist Convention affirmed a sinner's prayer as a biblical expression of repentance and faith. Let me read this to you. Whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ offers full forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God to anyone who repents of sin and trusts in Christ, and whereas the same gospel commands all persons everywhere to believe this gospel and receive Christ as Savior and Lord, Mark 1.15, John 1.12, Acts 17.30, Whereas the scripture gives example of persons from diverse backgrounds who cried out for mercy and was heard by God, Luke 18, 13, Acts 16, 29 through 30. And whereas the scripture also gives numerous examples of persons who verbally affirmed gospel truth, but who did not personally know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and I have those scriptures. And whereas empty religion and formalism of whatever kind, apart from a personal relationship with Christ, cannot wash away sin or transform a heart, have the scripture. Whereas the Bible speaks of salvation as including both a confession with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and a belief in the heart that God has raised him from the dead, have the scripture. Be it resolved that the messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans, Louisiana, June the 19th through the 20th, 2012, reaffirm our gospel conviction that repentance from sin and personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are necessary for salvation and be it further resolved that we affirm that repentance and faith involve a crying out for mercy and calling on the Lord, Romans 10, 13, often identified as the sinner's prayer as a biblical expression of repentance and faith and be it further resolved that a sinner's prayer is not an incantation. You know what that is? It's not just something you say over and over and over and over again that results in salvation merely by recitation and should never be manipulatively employed or utilized apart from a clear articulation of the gospel and be it further resolved that we promote any and all biblical means of urging sinners to call on the name of the Lord in prayer of repentance and faith and be it finally resolved that we call on Southern Baptist everywhere to continue to carry out the Great Commission in North America, around the world, so sinners everywhere of every tribe, tongue, and language may cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Luke 18, verse 13. You can pray a prayer and not be saved, but you'll never be saved until you pray a prayer. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you for a time that we can come together today and for each person that's here. Father, thank you for your gospel, that it's simple, so simple, that anyone who hears the Holy Spirit can convict of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. And they have the ability, Lord, to see themselves as lost without a Savior. And, Lord, they can have the freedom to express a desire to know Jesus by calling out to a holy God, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. And God, from that heart of that lost person who's honest with himself and being honest with you, you hear that prayer. And you won't turn them away, and you'll save them. They'll come to that point where they cross over from being lost to saved. They'll accept you for who you are and for what you're about. Thank you for what you're going to do today. Thank you for saving me, Lord. Lord, I was unworthy. I was undeserving. I was just a sinner that was lost on the way to hell. But you loved me enough that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And you tell me in your word that if I call out to you, that you would forgive me and that you would save me. Thank you, Lord, for what you've, what you've done for me at Calvary. Help me to carry this message everywhere. Help all of us. We're all ministers. Lord, we're all priests. Help us to be the mediator that you want us to be as we bring a lost world to a holy God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.